Hey, I'm Daniel, a political activist and campaigner turned management consultant turned coach. And this is PoliticWise, the podcast where politics meets personal development. Let's face it, it's easy to criticize those in politics. But being in politics is not an easy ride. And yet for many who make the leap, it's worth it. They can make a real difference. So how can we have both? How can we make a difference while at the same time showing up as the best version of ourselves? It's a question that's been with me for the last 20 years. First, when I started out as an activist leading an NGO, then when I did a PhD in politics, and later when I quit my job in consulting to help build up a political movement and run an election campaign. And today, as I coach young leaders who want to make a difference while staying true to themselves. I know the answers are out there, so join me on this podcast. We'll hear from political leaders, from psychologists, neuroscientists, philosophers about their findings and experiences. And together, we learn about the ideas, mindsets, and tools of wise people in politics and beyond. Let's go. My guest today is a leadership development and change management practitioner based in Washington, D.C., He is the co-founder and CEO of ChangeLab Global, a community of experts, educators, and practitioners in leadership development. Some of his clients' partners include the U.S. government, UNICEF, the World Bank, and the Obama Foundation. He is also professor for leadership at Georgetown University. He has supported several grassroots movements, two of which are the citizen engagement and anti-corruption NGO Serbia on the Move. And then in 2017, he was one of the first supporters of the pan-European movement, Volt Europa. My guest today is Nikola Ilic. Nikola, excited to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thank you, Daniel. <laughs> thank you for the kind introduction. Uh, and thank you for doing this podcast. Uh, and thank you for inviting me. I know you have some uh, interesting people already. I think you're doing great. And uh, I'm really excited to talk to you and uh, you know see where we go with this today. Perhaps, yeah, let's, let's, let's start with... Um how we know each other. We know each other from Vault. Uh, I've come to you for advice, at, especially in 2017, 2018, building up this, this grassroots movement. And um, and I know you have like a big history in, in grassroots movements. That's that's your origin. That's where you come from. But I think we never talked about that. I, I, at least I, I, I don't remember that conversation. So perhaps let's start there. Um, Perhaps tell us a little bit about your involvement in Serbia on the Move, one of the first involvements of yours, as far as I understand, and your your motivation for joining it, right? Why why did you join back then? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, but I would say that my first involvement with grassroots was actually way before. So as you know, uh, I was born uh, in a country that doesn't exist anymore, in Yugoslavia. I like to say uh, I changed four countries without changing an address because Yugoslavia went through different iterations of its names and stuff. Um, but the 90s and the Yugoslav wars really shaped me because um, I, you know, I have family that comes from like, you know, all the pretty much almost all the republics of ex Yugoslavia. I was born in Belgrade. My family also, you know, most of it comes from uh, south of Serbia. Some, a lot of them comes from uh, uh, Bosnia, Croatia, Montenegro roots, so forth. And I remember vividly this uh, uh, this shift that happened to me when I was seven years old. Before the war, until I was seven or eight, 
uh, I would go every summer visit my family in Bosnia, visit my family in Istria, uh, and so forth. And then everything shifted in the 90s. When the war started, you felt isolated being in Belgrade and the sanctions. You felt uh, uh, lost of freedom. Uh, and I remember it was 1992, I think, when uh, we were all at my grandmother's place and grandfather's place. And they had this big uh, apartment with a lot of uh, old school brown wooden furniture and high ceilings and all the grown-ups were there and everybody looked super worried. And I had no idea what was going on. And then someone knocked or rang a bell um, and my grandmother and then I opened the door and there were cousins from Bosnia. Uh, Bogdan and his family, his two kids and wife. And I had no idea what they were doing there. There was no time with cell phones or anything, right? They just looked like they looked exhausted, very worried. Soon enough, I learned that they became refugees. Um, and I remember the sentence that uh, cousin Bogdan said as they were leaving. He said, We saw your family house in Bosnia sacked, they took everything, they even took Nicola's toys. And this is the house where literally my mother was born in because my grandmother never made it to the hospital. And I had this big bag of Transformers and Masters of the Universe toys because I would go there every summer uh, before I would go to Croatia uh, to spend my summer there with the family. Um, and that was sense making for a little Nicola. I was like, oh, wait, who took my toys? But that that evolved quickly into you know who caused all this war all this mm -hmm. suffering who made my cousins refugees <laughs> who made so many lives disappear uh and it took some years that really focused me on politics i'm trying to understand who did this because you know this idea that grown-ups know what they're doing really uh came down crashing for me yeah. in these years uh and a few years after that I had the chance to join this organization called Otpor, which means the resistance. And that was the first time I felt empowered and I could do something about the, all the injustices I saw around me. How, how old were you, were you then? I think I was 14. Uh, yeah. And I was just, you know, uh, a kid going around with the pro materials, with the, with the stickers, going to demonstrations and uh, doing some graffiti. Uh, being chased by police here and there. Uh, but that was the first time I felt, hey, look, like some grown-ups, and, you know, there were some grown-ups that gave us some space to express ourselves. What we, what did we think about this regime, the dictatorship we lived in, about the horrible society we lived in the 90s? And they trusted us with something, and I felt empowered. And that was the first time I was hooked on the grassroots. I'm like, and it was about the community as well, because you made friends. It was the whole thing that came with it. It was part of your identity. Now, I'm the one who doesn't just sit on the side and, you know, talks about how things are bad, but like, hey, this is what I'm doing now. And it was, I don't think anyone should be an activist or do what we did uh, at the age of 14, uh, but uh, I never felt there was a choice. It was just very natural, like, oh, Look, we can do something about this. It was briefly about a Serbian move in 2009. A group of friends or people who knew, uh, you know, friends or friends. Uh, we thought, what if we, you know, one thing that I always say, that the biggest victory of politicians, particularly in Balkans, 
is, but all over the world these days, is that they convinced masses that politics is by default corrupt and bad, and the politicians are by default lying and bad people, and that's what it is. Mm. Uh, so we wanted to, we, well, that was our starting point. Everybody in the world, you, you know, in Germany even, uh, which I admire as a society in so many ways, you know, people probably perceive politics as some, some dirty game. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be like that. It's not It's not always like that. It's more or less. You know? uh, but that was our starting point. So we said, huh, what if we try to engage people about the problems in the community without directly engaging in politics? So we don't have, we don't, we're not going to seek anyone's vote. We're just going to seek uh, and ask people, hey, do you want to join us in solving this particular issue? There's a corruption in healthcare. There's a problem with the, uh, with this park that they want to, uh, you know, turn into a parking lot. There's a problem, uh, you know. There's a issue in this neighborhood with the uh, with the street holes, potholes. Like we just want to engage people in problem solving, uh, and that we we were like quite naive, and I I I think people should stay a bit naive because that enables you to see the world a bit differently and try to create something that others cannot think of. Mm-hmm. And we said, hey, what do we do politics without politics in the way? And, mm-hmm. you know, we started and we came across this committee organizing methodology. But uh, what it did to me and to us was we learned how important it is to build communities and relationships. Um, and, you know, how important it is to understand what you want what is your personal purpose so that you don't fall in the trap of chasing some kind of power and authority just for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. And it became so clear how much more pleasant it is if you build a community in which you create space for others to create and lead. And you learn that it's not zero-sum game. It's not either I lead or Daniel leads or someone else leads. Uh, it depends, and you can create more of it. It's not like if I lead, you can't. Uh, how, how do you how do you do that, or have you come across you know you, you wanting to create that kind of environment, but something going wrong, right? It's perhaps being about the person who leads, and you know politics in the worst sense. <laughs> Uh, all, all, all the negative associations we have, have have of that politics in that way coming into play. Yeah, this this paradigm of um, our leaders are the providers of all the answers and solutions. Yeah, and they shouldn't be right. The idea is that they are enablers of, of all the talents. And there's conspiracy between people and politicians or other authorities because. On one side, people, some people, a lot of people, especially in my part of the world, they like this idea of, huh, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to circle a number once in the four years on the, in the elections, and then it's all up to you. Mm-hmm. And all I have to do is complain or not about how you're doing. Um, and on the other side, so I'm, I'm going to surrender all the power to you, basically, but also all the responsibility. Mm-hmm. And the politicians at the same time many of them, if not all of them, uh, in, in the case of at least my country in the region, they take it because it's it feels powerful. Huh. 
and then it becomes this dance between the people and the politicians. You know, the politicians become this, they sell all the solutions. I'm going to promise you everything. Mm -hmm. So there's always, and they always find the market for those who are ready to buy it, just yeah. to surrender their power, but also to surrender all the, and, and to give all the responsibility. Uh, that's what's on my mind when you, when you talk about this. Yeah, so there's this alliance both both gained from it, I, I guess, right? Like the politi or the person who wants that for whatever reason, and on the other side, being able to give away that responsibility, not having to to perhaps bear the the burden. Yeah, the, the, you know, it's funny thing we talk about development, and I think that both sides are overcompensating for something. Like if you're ready to uh, give away power and responsibility. Like, why is that? What's behind that? What's behind you not wanting to take control of the things or have some influence? Is, is this, you know, are there are there some issues of self-worth? Are there issues of taking responsibility? And what about failing? Is a failure the ultimate failure where you cannot recover this idea of like, you know, I better not try, but just have someone else and then I can, I can just criticize? Mm -hmm. On the other side, the politicians. Why do you need to be loved and liked? And what is behind that? What What is that need uh, for? What are you overcompensating for? Uh, gaining power, and then you get into this vicious circle of, well, if they, if the market, if the exchanges, I'll give you the the idea. It's illusion, the illusion of all knowing creature, because I'm going to solve all of your problems. Then I can never admit that I'm wrong. Yeah. So how that that and that's how the politics looks like today, right? You cannot be yeah. wrong because you sold your omnipotency, so you cannot be wrong. Yeah. And if you're if you cannot be wrong, you cannot learn, so you're stuck. But what you what you have to do, you have to market and PR and paint and you know you have to start creating illusions because you will screw up. Everyone does. That's that's just the way it is. No one knows everything, but in this game, in this in this dynamics. Uh, that one who portrays himself or herself as the most omnipotent wins the market of those who are ready to surrender uh, their power and uh, responsibility to, to, to you. And it's the vicious circle, like, you know, and it's both left, right, and center. This is not just one direction. It's the mindset. Yeah. And then community organizing is the antidote antidote to that right it, it's um it it is giving people the the, the ability to to take some on or build power in a, in a community to not yeah. shy shy away from the responsibility and at the same time perhaps towards the the the, the, the politician side it's you know you, you're part of this but you're not the only node here you're not or perhaps you're not even at the top of it yeah um community organizing and and even deeper but this this is we, we talk about culture here even like this is deeply rooted in society so, uh, social culture in many uh, uh, organizations and uh, you know nations and you can trace back like in my region this like way back into the even narratives uh, and the in, you know this culture of surrendering power and uh, and responsibility to someone uh, the truth is. What community organizing teaches you, you know, the shift that leadership is a position that's wrong. Leadership is what you do. 
It's about exercising it. Mm-hmm. And this idea that the, the truth is that everyone has power, but not everyone knows it. And mm-hmm. everyone can lead and can access leadership, but not everyone knows it either. Uh, so the community organizing idea, what I think makes it so effective is that it leverages the core of what makes us human. Some things, some systems that are older than the civilization, necessity to know yourself, to understand your purpose, to share and and hear a story, to create meaningful relationships, to belong, to, and you know, when you, when if that's, and and that's, that's the base of community organizing. And if that becomes the base, then action becomes almost self-evident. Like, huh, I, I have clarity on my purpose and I can articulate it in a, in a way that others understand it. And when I say I have clarity, I, I mean, it's not you're finding it as if you're trying to find the hidden treasure. You literally create it, self-author it. Mm-hmm. Then you learn how to share it with others. Uh, you know, storytelling is a powerful uh, tool for that. But also you start understanding that getting to know others builds trust and you start aligning purposes. And, and when there's trust and there's some direction and some idea, and it's not super, you know, I'm not talking about high level clarity, but it's, it's you know, there's enough clarity and there's enough trust that, that that's the fuel for action. Now we have an idea of, this is what kind of we are all about. These are our values and that we can project some idea of how we can design our surrounding, our, our community, our uh, society, and we trust each other. Oh, what, what, what if we start working on that, actually? It's it becomes so. And the trust starts with with the knowing, right? The knowing the other person at a, at a deeper level, not just, you know, this is the person, you know, they did that in the year 1999. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, this is, this is, these are your values. This is your purpose. I understand you are at that level. And let me share, share perhaps who I am also at that level and then connecting. Yeah. Trust is built in different ways. Uh, you know, big, you know, good start is always getting to know each other on basic level, and then uh, learning uh, each other's whys. Because people, when when they understand, hey Daniel, you know, what is your reason behind this podcast? Mm-hmm. And if that's clear and it makes sense to me, then I I can value, I can I can judge your intentions much better. And if I think your intent, because now I know your intentions and they make sense to me, and I say, okay, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, but that's a beginning. What really builds trust is action. Because mm. tell, you know, t- tell me a bit, bit more about that. I know action and practice. You've mentioned <laughs> these words already. They, they are important to you. You know what? Um, what? Why? Why is that such an important piece? And and you've said it doesn't doesn't start there. Uh, you know, some some other work comes before that, and then action is perhaps even like a consequence of that. But still, those those words figure, uh, yeah, strongly in your in your way of looking at at leadership. Look, I I did see 
relationships that came out of the action first. <laughs> yeah. And then people got to know each other. I've seen that. Usually, committee organizing, you need to build a bit of trust, just, a, just enough so we can start committing to each other to do something. Commitment is, oh, you know, I will do this, you will do that. We have clarity on who needs to do what. Uh, the thing with action is that, and we, I think we're going to talk about it a bit later, uh, it reveals the most. It's the ultimate uh, information producer. You know, action produces a lot of information. Mm-hmm. So much that big part of the information when you observe, when you're acting, uh, you know, you pick up with the, you don't even know what you're picking up. You know, you're learning and you don't know that you're learning. It's tacit. So people say talk is cheap, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, and there's a reason for that because, you know, I can learn how to seduce you with words and tell you what you need to hear. But then what I'm going to do will tell you way more about me. Uh, so action, you know, going back to serving the move, what we really were doing, we were enabling people to act upon their values. So because one thing is to have a value. People have this idea of heroic selves, and that's that's a good start. They think I'm this, I'm that. I I value this, I value that. I'm just I'm, uh, help people uh, and so forth. Uh, and then in, in action, what what really happens in the real world is that these values clash, and you have to prioritize. Like you want to help this person, but that but that there's going to be some risk, and you, you discover oh, I also value self preservation. Yeah, because. And so, 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 what kind of person are you? So, action reveals that action starts clashing your values. It messes them up. It asks you to prioritize what really matters to you. And then, if you and I do something together, Daniel, and we're going through some challenge, that challenge will reveal what are my priorities. So, what I see the world way more than if we talk for ten hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's. Um, I came across this this definition of wisdom. Uh, practical wisdom by Barry Schwartz, or the the same person who came up with the the paradox of choice, or the more you know, yeah, and um, and and his his conception is exactly that, right? So being wise means there are different principles at play, and you need to make a decision in a concrete situation, and it isn't that you know one principle is always more important than the other, and being wise means exactly making those decisions in a real situation. You know, there, there, I feel there are two pieces here. One is, I remember it's, it's a very brief story when I was a, a, a kid again. Uh, uh, I think I was nine or ten. I was uh, in this walking zone in, uh, in central Belgrade and I heard some noise and I saw uh, a few skinheads beating up this Roma boy. Obvious racism case. Uh, and there were at least 50, 60 people who were observing that. Long story short, I like to ask you, you know, my students and, and some of my trainees, like, so how many people do you think thought that that was wrong? And the answer is probably, if not all of them, probably most of them, like 90, 95% of people would, for various reasons, that that was wrong, beyond just violence, the racism, and, and so forth. And, um, and then the question is, well, why? So there, that's the value. We just encourage the value. So when, why no one done, done, why they didn't act yet? Yeah. And that's a big question because there are some hidden values that they also valued their safety. And I remember what happened is 
one or two uh, younger, stronger guys start walking up to this group of uh, people that were uh, fighting and they, they chased off. But as they were, and, and the, the, the first, the yelling started and then the movement uh, started, the frontal movement, and then you see more people will join. And I come back to this moment a lot and I think, hi, huh, see, like, often, this is, again, going back to a, a community, like, you know, people have values, but sometimes they need a bit of a support to uh, activate them. This is where community really uh, helps you and it's it's okay to be as too scared. I'm not judging people for who want to self-preserve. Everybody everybody is trying to do that. But it got me thinking. Hmm, how, how do you do this more often? How do you more often create these opportunities? Uh, these mini acts of leadership where mm-hmm. you almost liberate a bit people to start acting on the values to break yeah. through the fear. So that's a big part. Like, hey, are you acting upon the value? And the second part is. Uh, different going back to your wisdom, different challenges will trigger different clashes of values, yeah. Loyalties, you know, these and the higher up you are, uh, and the more uh, important or tougher things you're doing in life, the more so called conundrums you will have to encounter where extremely important values will clash and will have to be decision. And if this, whatever decision you make, something is gonna suck. Like you're gonna betray one of your values potentially, yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's like the upper side of that. Like, well, what do you do then? Actually, yeah. do these things. It's the ultimate. But the, an, another thing I want to add just here: action really reveals uh, to you also. Uh, like you know, you don't know yourself fully. You know yourself to a certain extent. There's a lot more of you than you than you know. Mm-hmm. But when you interact in in action, you interact with your full selves, self known and unknown and the world gives you feedback on your whole self known and unknown and that's why after action you want to debrief you want to reflect because the feedback that you've got from whatever you've done is on your whole self so if you pay attention you might expand your knowledge of yourself yeah that, and that's, that's such a big uh you know the, the ultimate uh, uh learning tool yeah, learning tool, and that's it, it, such such a powerful point to underlie for you know anybody who's interested in politics and change and is looking at the world and has a certain idea of what should be different, right? Is to to do something, to to start doing something, because by doing that, well, you learn, but also at the same time you, in a sense, become more of who you are, of of perhaps of who you don't know you are, but it's tapping into that iceberg underneath the water right of who you are but you don't know it but it's through that action through that engagement through just going out there in the world trying something out that you learn about that yeah and just to add here i bet that everyone who is listening surprised themselves at least once how would you surprise yourself yeah surprises whom yeah yeah, yeah. that's what action does to you right it reveals parts of you that uh they were there all the time. Maybe at some level you knew they were there and enables you to also locate, but you need to debrief and reflect. It's not just, you know, uh, uh, action without reflection could be lost learning. It's always lost learning, I would say. Uh, but going back to, uh, you know, becoming more who you are, you know, you construct your identity through all the values and all the ideas of yourself, of your heroic self, at least. 
And that action is, you know, putting that identity, uh, you know, in the real world, acting upon it. And you learn usually, you know, if you're honest with yourself, that who you think you are is not who you act. And if you're able to constantly, you know, constantly not overthink things, but you know, you, you plan, you act, and then you debrief and you you, you reflect, you learn. Uh, you'll start aligning more and more with who you really want to be. Mm -hmm. And that's very powerful. That's a really good feeling. That's one of the most powerful feelings when you enact your values and you, huh, all right, that felt good. Because that, yeah. that, that action matches my theory of myself. Yeah. And it, it doesn't always feel good, right? Like the part of where you realize, oh, damn, you know, I thought this was something that is important to me. I didn't act right. I didn't. I didn't act in line with my values. But hey, that's information. That's 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 something to again reflect on. On the reflection bit, I recently thought a little bit about that. Is um, coaching right? We're both involved in coaching. We're both coaches. Um, I've had that experience as someone being coached and as someone coaching others, where there's too much reflection going on and too little action. <laughs> and so it's also. The, you know, you need some of the action to to have something to reflect on. That can be. Yeah. That's my 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 perspective right now. Something has too much reflection, too little too little action. Sometimes uh, I ask some of my uh, uh, collaborators who have kids, "Hey, do you remember the first time you held your baby?" And they yes. And like, can you teach me that feeling? And they're like, well, I can describe it, but. And you know, I heard people describing this feeling many times before I became that, become a dad, and no one came close. Mm -hmm. So it's tacit. It's something that you cannot transmit through words. You know, language is a new phenomenon, new, new thing in our evolution. It's a very new thing. We're still perf perfecting it, right? And it's such a small part of our brain. Um, and 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 then there's a famous metaphor of uh, learning how to ride a bike. Right, you can read about it. Maybe it will help a bit, but you really got to get on the bike, and you'll probably fail the first time. And there's that's going to involve physical and emotional pain of failing, and then you have to get back on it. That's the decision moment, right? Knowing that the failure may happen again until you get it right. So it's action. So when you talk about le leadership, it turns out to be exactly the same way. It's emotional learning. Uh, it's tacit learning. It's full body learning. You'll learn beyond what you can describe with your words. And that's why it's so rich. Because, again, you, through action, you learn more than you know. And you learn things that you don't even know that you know. And I know that sounds esoteric, mm. but, you know, there's a good cognitive science behind it. There are things that we know. We don't know how we know. And there are things that we don't know but that we know. But we, but we can act. With them, like we can inactively still affect our lives. Uh, that's the power of action. That's, by the way, and that's a little bit on a tangent. Um, the one of the challenging bits with artificial intelligence right now is this: uh, we, you know, we can we can define and program all of these rules into an artificial intelligence, but somehow the wealth of the, you know, I don't know, the human capacity comes a lot from what is under the iceberg. And how you know how do we define that for for artificial intelligence to emulate us? So that's a whole different area, but that's that's a challenge of that AI faces right now. Yeah, um, and the challenge that many people face um, 
is also uh, yeah. Uh, to, to make a quick point on overthinking, because thinking will be based on what you know right now, and you can really overthink anything. And at the end, what you're doing, you're just stalling. It's type of procrastination because there's some kind of a fear. Yeah, and you know, big part of growing as a person and big part of the leadership development that I am doing is creating space for people to to learn how to thrive in uncertainty and uh, you know action no matter how much you plan things will go differently because you don't know everything about the world the world is so complex especially that involves other people other people don't know themselves the best <laughs> you don't know them even as much so things will go differently uh which means that whatever you think you will not know enough and uh, you just have to go and do it uh, and learn how to be okay with uncertainty that that action brings. And the more you learn how to deal with uncertainty, which is, I think, one of the cores of leadership development, like what do you do when you don't know what to do type of a question, the the, the more you grow. And it's not easy as, you know, you, it's going to be tough and you're going to have doubts and you'll maybe fail in a way that's going to, disappoint you and you might be disappointed with what you enact and that's not who you are mm -hmm. the key is not to stop but to reflect to learn and try again yeah so perhaps that that's that's a good switch to and we've been talking about this the whole time leadership development um mm -hmm. and this is this is i would yeah this is part of part of your work or a major part of your work yeah. you're involved in that you do that um tell me a little bit Why do you think that is that is important today? That that's important work to do, and perhaps let let me be a bit challenging here. Do we need it at all? You know, is, is isn't that something that you you've learned to do by by just doing it uh, without taking, I, I guess, a leadership development course when when you were younger? You know, what where does leadership development come in, and why is it important? the key question here is can leadership development be accelerated mm. so i i went through experiences and if i you know back in the in in my uh, teens and early 20s if i had a coach and if i had some framework that will scaffold my learning at the time i would probably learn way more from these experiences that i did mm. so mm -hmm. That's one way to look at it. That's self-development, growing. Uh, it, I think and there's a good science that proves that you can accelerate it through particular ways of doing it, right? Through particular coaching and, you know, uh, programs and so forth. But the reason why we do it, we need it now and today, I believe, is because The world is becoming just more complicated. Everything is becoming more complicated. I heard someone said, uh, whatever the CEO was doing like 20 years ago, now is the job of the manager. Whatever manager was doing 20 years ago or 30 years ago, now is the job of like a supervisor. Whatever the supervisor was doing 20, 30 years ago, now is just the job of employee. You know, the complexity trickled down a lot. So people are facing, people today are not facing as many so-called technical challenges kind of like where you just need to optimize and learn how to be more efficient 
you kind of just applying already existing knowledge. But we're seeing this throughout organizations, societies. Think about anything you guys who are listening to the, to this. Think about anything you have to solve today. Uh, there has to be a, a bit of a learning, a bit of a creativity, a bit of innovation. And you know, and you're already and 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 there's and all of that brings a bit of uncertainty. So you have to create something, and we are in the realm of leadership already. So that's one aspect of it, because the world is becoming more and more complex. We're encountering more and more complex uh, challenges, bigger challenges. So if for us as humankind to keep thriving, we need to collectively go to the next level of understanding things. And we, we need to increase collective leadership capacity. And the second part is the democracy. And that's, you know, a lot has been done. Uh, and democracy starts uh, within yourself. The, the whole idea of plurality and ability to have uh, different perspectives and opinions. Maybe you start with yourself. Are you able to hold different perspectives, opinions, and respect them and understand them, not just judge them? And that's part of leadership development too. Like, you know, ability to, to be complex thinker, ability to hold opposites, uh, uh, ability to suspend judgment to better see the things where they are. Ability to understand your own biases and all that. Uh, and uh, that mindset, we, we see in democracy of United States, how institutions, when institutions clash with the lack of mindset, for democ democratic mindset, institutions lose. So it, democracy is not just institutions. Institutions are a big part of it. Mm -hmm. But if society, uh, as we see today, is losing the democratic mindset, which is the core of the type of leadership that I am working with, which is distributed leadership, leadership where, again, uh, it's not about having all the answers, but it's about enabling all the talents and growing more capacity around you and within you. Um, yeah, I feel like mm. that's, most of my work is focused on that since I started when I was a teen in the political movement, anti-dictatorship, anti-Milosevich, my whole, uh, 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 looking back, my whole work was always political, actually. How do you create more democratic mindset and more democratic leadership that builds institutions and sustains them and keeps evolving to release more and more, more human potential and to enable people to live purposeful lives? There's, that's, that's like, you know, that's a big question. Why are you here? Mm. Purpose. Yeah, and and it's an it's an ancient ancient tradition, right? I, I I came across this book, Melissa Lane, I think, from Princeton, wrote a you know, writes about Roman and Greek political systems. And um in in one of those books she comes to the conclusion it's you know, just like you said, it starts at home. You know, a stable political system starts at, at home. And the Romans and Greeks yes. knew that, right? They were experts at building political institutions that lasted, you know, criticize them how much you want from it today's perspective um but they weren't just about the institutions they were also about that human side of uh, how can you not just control a government and 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 but how can you control yourself self-control is, is, yeah. is one aspect i would say institutions are expression of collective mindset and then when collective mindset starts deteriorating again look at around the world you see institutions deteriorating too mm -hmm. so it's not given you, you know you need to yeah. keep working on it generation after generation yeah. I said nothing new. People said it more eloquently. 
Yeah. Everybody just has to win their own freedom and build their own democracy. Or keep at least what they had uh, found. <laughs> Um, I feel I feel there is there's so so many uh, uh, gold golden nuggets uh, in, in this in this conversation that we've had so far, and I know this you know this quick and easy ask for you know what are the takeaways what what's your advice is 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 an easy question for me to ask, <laughs> but I'll ask it nevertheless you know for people listening, what what should they take away from this conversation uh, slash what advice do you have? A few things come to my mind. Uh, uh, one is be clear about your why, your reasons, and uh, why you know where are you going with your life, and understand that it's not about finding it, but it's about self-authoring. So you get to construct your own story or your own narrative, and you get to decide what is your life purpose. But you got to work on it. Because once you know, you understand your why, and it's ever, you know, it's, you know, you keep working on it and it might change a bit, but uh, the clarity of your why will anchor your whole life in in an extremely powerful way. If you know where you're going, at least approximately, the world reveals in a very different way. And there's even cognitive science supporting that depending I, I bet many people saw that experiment with the uh, uh, two groups of people uh, in uh, red shirt and blue shirt passing the ball to each other, and then you're asked to count the ball, and then there's gorilla coming through, and nobody notices gorilla uh, because you're focused on the ball. So you see physically what you're focused on. So so you better know your why, otherwise you might see wrong things. When you have clarity or why, literally, physically, the world looks differently for you. That's one thing. So I would say you're not, and you know, just to be sure to, to understand, you're not all the experiences you had. You are what you make of them. So you're in control of understanding your best. So it's self-authoring, right? Mm -hmm. The second thing I would say, uh, learn what you really want anchored in your why so that you do, don't end up seeking power just to overcompensate uh, for some flaw of character or some need, want, the longing that you're not satisfying. And this is a big part of politics. I would say, like, deal with your insecurities. Uh, learn, you know, I like to uh, learn about your beast. Like, what is that? You know, or, you know, some people would say incorporate your shadow. Because mm -hmm. if you enter politics or some, uh, any game uh, that has some power in it, it might become very seducive and it, and it might start feeling like it's filling in that gap and it will not feel it. But it will make you, uh, uh, you, you will be seduced by it, you will be hooked on it. Deal with your insecurities, face your challenges voluntarily, it's really good for you. Uh, and then focus on people and relationships. It's all about trust and community as we talked. Listen, understand before you project and, you know, pontificate. And uh, lastly, really important is find, you know, besides the fact we made a lot of points about the action and act, uh, but find time for daily self-reflection to capture learnings. Mm. Make sense and be more strategic and anchor yourself. This has to be your daily practice. Mm. Journaling is what I do, for example, and meditation. Yeah. Nicola, 
uh, this has been fantastic. I want to say thank you. Thank you for taking the time, Nicola. Really pleasure. No, absolutely. Thank you so much, Daniel, for having me. And uh, good luck to all the listeners. And I hope you folks will uh, act on what you heard today, at least some things. Hey, this is Daniel. Thanks for listening. I hope you liked the episode. Please share it with someone who might find it valuable as well. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover or a guest I should talk to, let me know. You can find out more on my website. Head over to politicwise.org. Until the next time.